Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Perfect and blameless life given as sacrifice. See him there, all in the name of love, broken and glorious, all for the sake of us. This is Jesus.
first show His mercy so undeserved This freedom I should not know And all my sin, all of my hidden sin Oh, it died with Him on the cross Eternity won
many of you can hear heaven beckoning this morning? His presence is here. Give him praise right now. For splendor and power, God of dominion and life, Father whose hand is almighty, creator and giver of life, I'll forever praise you.
begin with your own lips to sing your praise to the Heavenly Father this morning. We bless your holy name, Lord. You deserve the praise. You're worthy, Lord. Yes, you are. Hallelujah. How many of you would say, I need more? Last week was awesome. How many of you were here in the presence of the Lord last week? Would you just thank him for what he did in our midst? But how many of you know that's not enough? Fresh manna today. Fresh word, oh God. Fresh praise out of the depths of our spirit, oh God. We want more. We want more. Come on, begin to tell the Lord we want more.
God's not done yet. Would you just begin to sing out your praise from your lips, out of the depths of your heart and your spirit? We must worship him in spirit and in truth. He is a jealous God. this morning are you telling your problems how big God is or are you telling your problems how big God is God is a big God God you are able God you are more than able Lord Jesus God we live to worship you God God in the good times and in the bad God God, when everything's going right in our life, God, and when all hell is breaking loose in our life, God, we give you praise today, God. God, you are worthy today. God, you are worthy today. God, we stand in awe of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we stand in awe of you, of all the lives that you've changed, Lord Jesus. Either through this church or through our lives, God, all the lives that you've changed. All the people that didn't know you, God, that have come to know you. 
Lord Jesus, all the people that were living problem-filled lives, God, with no hope, God, now living with hope in your presence, God. We stand in awe of you. And God, today we lift up our movers to you today. If you got your cards, you can pull them out. God, we lift up the ten people, Lord Jesus, that you put on our heart, God, that need to make a move towards you, Jesus. God, that they're living their life with no hope or they're living their life in the pit, God, but that you've called them to stand on the rock, Lord Jesus. That you've called them to stand with hope, God. God, open up doors for us to minister to them, God. Lord Jesus, open up doors so that we can show them you. God, so that their life can be changed the way that ours was, God. And the way that ours continues to be in Jesus name God we want to take this time with every head bowed and every eye closed we want to ask you how is your relationship with Jesus are you living far away from him are you at church just because you know it's what you're supposed to do Today, do you not have a relationship with Jesus and you need to make a move towards Him? You need to come into salvation. Salvation is here today. So with nobody looking around, just my prayer partner so we can pray intelligently. If you say, Woody, that's me. I need to make a move towards God. I need salvation to come into my life. And just raise up your hand and let me see who you are. Anybody in the house today? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just a few seconds longer. Don't get impatient. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, we celebrate today, God, that we are in a gathering of believers, God. And God, I pray the same thing publicly, God, that I pray privately Lord Jesus and that's no matter how close I get to you God I can always be closer and so God I pray that you'd help us all make a move towards you God to become closer and closer to you Lord Jesus to draw near to you God so that you can draw near to us God God today we choose God we came in the door maybe we've had one of those weeks, Lord Jesus, that we wish we wouldn't have had. God, maybe we come in the doors and we're struggling with temptation and sin so bad that we can barely see straight, God. God, maybe we've come in the door with so much debt, Lord Jesus, we don't know how we're going to make our next payment. But God, we've come in the doors today, Lord Jesus. And in our midst, God, you have given us hope, God. You have declared to us that you are greater, God. You have declared to us that you are able today, God. And God, we worship you today, God. God, we worship you today. And we declare your word over our life. God, we may have came, come in complaining, God, but we're praising your name today, God. Our situation may not have changed, God, but you are still the same. God, you are great today. 
God, thank you for your presence that's in this place today. God, I ask that you would carry out your presence through the end of this service. God, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. You may be seated today. Welcome somebody into the house of God today. Well, today our pastor is not with us due to being sick. And so I want to take this time before we go any further to just lift up a prayer for him. And so if you would just join with me. Lord Jesus, we lift up our pastor to you today, God. What an incredible blessing that he is in our life, Lord Jesus. What an incredible anointing you've placed on his life for this church and for us Lord Jesus, and God, today we pray, Lord, that you would bring healing into his body, Lord Jesus. That all sickness, Lord Jesus, all disease has to leave his body. By your stripes, we are healed today, God. And I ask that you would heal him today, Lord Jesus, and that you would bring him right back, put his body right back the way that you created it to be, God, in line with your word and made in your image, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said... Amen. Well, we are not we are not shy of preachers in the house. Amen. And uh, I am not sharing with you today, but we have somebody that's going to be sharing with us that you are very familiar with. And an amazing, amazing man of God that always brings the word, that always shares something that is going to change your life. And I know he's going to do it today. So if you would, please give a warm hand of welcome to our pastor's dad, Bob Ely. So they asked John D. Rockefeller, who was one of the richest men that ever lived, how much money is enough? And he gave a one-word answer, more. I wish we had that same desire in our heart toward God. And regardless of all of his blessings, in spite of all the wonderful grace that he bestows upon our life, we'd always be looking up, simply saying, more, more. Well, it goes without saying that God is revealed in his word that He wants us living in spiritual fullness, spiritual blessing, spiritual triumph. He says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And it's literally a word picture that, that is a, a scene on the seashore. That when this wave comes rolling in and crashes over you, you say, that's the biggest and the best. And about that time, here comes another that is larger and greater. And when that one rolls over you, here comes another wave upon wave upon wave without stopping. That's the word picture. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, that you might have it wave upon wave upon wave. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He literally says that he wants us living in the fullness of spiritual experience. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that you know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. The promise of His Spirit is unto you, unto your children, those that are far off. 
as many as the Lord thy God shall call. By his stripes we were healed. With his stripes we are healed. He wants you living in the fullness of spiritual experience. He wants you living in the, the fullness of spiritual blessing. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. He wants you to live in the fullness of spiritual triumph. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. He says, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and nothing by any means shall harm you. You will kick lions and young lions and adders and dragons out of the way. If God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is within us than he that is within this world. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord would lift up a standard against the enemy and put the enemy to flight. He will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Thanks be unto God who causes us always to triumph in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's His will. He exemplifies that in the Old Testament. In that story you remember about the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel's prophecy. Every time I turn there, I want to start singing, ankle bone connected to the leg bone. Because he simply said the armies of Israel were defeated. And they not only defeated, they were divided. And they were like a valley of dry bones, very dry. But as he obeyed God and prophesied, simply speaking the word, then bone began to come together to bone. And there was a great noise across the valley, and skin and flesh came upon them. And when he petitioned God, God sent the breath and breathed into them life. And the Bible said that they stood on their feet, not only alive, but now empowered to do exploits for God. And when you turn to the book of Acts, after you get past chapter 2, and they've been to the upper room baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, and you move into Acts chapter 3 and 4, five years later. And now they're threatened and persecuted, but they go back in the upper room. And they pray and the place is shaken and they're filled again with the Holy Ghost in boldness. And for 60 odd years, living in simple obedience to the Holy Spirit and in the fullness of revival, triumph, blessing, victory. That's what he wants. So why don't we have it? If that's the will of God, if that's why he died, if that's why he lives, why not? So I've studied it. I go back to Ezekiel's Valley, and I discover that a lot of times we're just like them. As there comes that initial obedience, there's bone coming together to bone, and the Bible said there was a great noise, a rattling. They had rattle, they just didn't have revival. They had noise, but they didn't have life. They looked better, but they didn't live better. Oh, I'm preaching better than your shout. And so by the time you get through that story, you remember Elijah. That when he puts the offering and sacrifice and the fire of God falls, the people are shouting, The Lord, He is God. And there is this great emotional response to the presence of God. But there's no change because Ahab and Jezebel are still in control. And if there had been real revival and spiritual change, Ahab and Jezebel wouldn't be in control. The people would have risen up, put them out of office, installed righteous leadership. They had this great emotional response to the presence of God, spiritual goosebumps. But no change. Now why? 
And so I've studied extensively God's Word in the last 48 years. And I've come up with, why is it that we're so close, but we don't have? In the New Testament, the first reason is obvious. Our hearts are so overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and the cares of life. We get so wrapped up in the natural and the material and the immediate that we don't have time for the spiritual. But that's not the main reason. The main reason, I believe, is in Hebrews chapter 12. And it begins with verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Here it is. Looking diligently, lest any man fail, in the King James, fall from the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. The message puts it like this. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seek can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome waiting away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessings, but by then it was too late. Tears or no tears. So what is it? It's simply called resentment. Roots of bitterness and resentment. Resentment. We've all felt it. We've all experienced it. You know what it is? It's that little boy whose sisters won't let him play with them. He rises up in anger and kicks over the playhouse and mom calls timeout. And sets the little boy in a chair in the corner and when she turns away, he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Resentment. Now, most of the young people don't remember it, but us older folks do. When it came to the class moment where they chose people to be it, and you were never chosen to be it. And after everyone else was chosen, somebody said, you can have Bob. It's being too slow, too short, too fat, too ugly, too dumb, not talented enough, not smart enough to be chosen. Resentment. Somebody said resentment is when you play hide and seek and you go hide and nobody comes looking for you. Somebody else said resentment is when you see the person that owes you money driving by in the new car. It's a seven-year-old girl who has the HIV virus because of the drug addiction of her mother, and she says, I am so mad at my mother. It's the lady whose husband's just told her that after 25 years, he's in the arms of another. It's saying, sorry, 
we don't rent to blacks. Sorry, we don't want Hispanics around here. It's being judged not by the character of your heart, but by the color of your skin. It's the gift that you wanted, but that you never received. It's the job that you were qualified for, and you were passed over. It's that teenage girl who sought the affection of her dad, And he always had time for the boys, but never for her. And six sexual encounters later, she's found lust, but she still hasn't found love. It's being alone in a nursing home. And nobody comes. It's the empty crib and the barren womb. And the children that you want that everybody else can have. But you can't. It's an emotional abuse. You're never going to amount to anything. You're always going to be a failure. You can't do anything right. It's physical abuse. The slap, the hit, the bruises. And the wondering in your heart is, why can't I please him? What do I do that makes him so mad? Being sexually abused. The only thing they wanted was your body person that was supposed to value you and protect you violates you. It's a betrayed confidence. It's the secret that you told to one and now everyone knows it. It's that caustic word, that cruel remark, that marriage that was made in heaven that is turned to hell on earth. It's you know what it is most of all? It's looking up in the eyes of God and saying, why? Why did you make me like this? It is the creature looking up in the eyes of the Creator and saying, why didn't you change me? Why did you form me this way? Why didn't you show up? Why didn't you answer my prayer? Why didn't you save my loved one? Why didn't you protect my child? Why didn't you deliver me and heal me? Where were you? Oh, Brother Bob, we never talk to God like that. Huh? No, we don't say the words. Because, you see, we think we've got this one little box in our mind, and whatever we think in that box, God doesn't know those thoughts. Uh, duh. We're kind of like a little boy, you know. He was raised in a Christian home, and he went to homeschooling, and he was just isolated in this Christian environment, and he never learned any bad words. But when he'd get angry, he'd go out behind the barn, and he'd say, cuss, cuss, cuss. He didn't know the words, but he felt all the emotions. And the problem is, is as children, we don't say the words, but we feel all the emotions of resentment. And most of the time, we don't even understand what resentment what resentment is. You know what I mean? In the Old Testament, it was defined as gall or wormwood. And it literally came from a poisonous, bitter-tasting herb. And, and you remember how it was used in the Old Testament. The Bible said when you take the Passover, you eat it with bitter herbs, with gall or wormwood. And the moment you took that plant and bit on it, 
that poisonous taste, that, that taste that you couldn't stomach, it, it, it reminded them of what they had suffered. It reminded them of their past. It reminded them of the injustice of being servants for 430 years, tasks that they couldn't bear, the death of their own children. The moment they bit down on that plant called rosh or gall or wormwood, it reminded them of what they had suffered. And so it literally came to mean disappointment, unfairness, to irritate or to embitter. Because the word resentment means to feel injured by or angry at, to be insulted by or hurt by, to resent something or someone that did you wrong, that caused you harm, whether it was real or imagined. One said, it's the feeling one has at being insulted or treated unfairly or being greatly disappointed or held in utter contempt. It's resentment. And when you get to the New Testament, Paul talks about it in Hebrews chapter 12, and he calls it a root of resentment or bitterness. And that word means something that is, is cutting. It means to prick or to cut. It means sharp or pointy. It means something that produces an irritation. It is like having a sticker in your sock. And no matter which way you turn or walk, there's always something that's pointing you and rubbing you and bringing friction and irritation and hurt. Uh, in our neck of the woods, we'd say, you've got a burr under your saddle blanket. Because that's what resentment is. And, and, and the second word means that it is pungent to the odor, to the sense of smell. It, it means it's so bitter to the taste that you can't stomach it, that it makes you sick at your stomach. And resentment is something that you can't stomach, that what happened to you in the past sickens you and makes you sick to your stomach. In fact, it comes from a Latin word that means to feel backward. You're feeling, but it's back at what you suffered and what you endure. And every one of us have experienced that. One man said, it's when you let your hurt become hate. Once let you, uh, that eat you up, let what's eating you eat you up. It's when you poke and stoke and feed and fan the fires of bitterness, you stir the flames, and you constantly relive the pain. One of the best examples was a show Oprah did. And she talked about people that felt resentment and bitterness against other people. And she said, in this audience today, if you could say in your mind to that person that mistreated you, die, 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 and that person would die, and no one would ever know how come or who did it, how many of you would do it? And 75% of her audience raise their hand. Because we've all experienced and felt this sense of resentment. And Paul says, your heart is like a garden. And if you're not diligent, if you're not vigilant, if you are not constantly on guard, there will rise up roots of resentment or bitterness. And he literally said they will spring up quickly. If you don't keep a watch out, they will completely cover your heart. In no t They're like a thistle gone to seed, the message says. And before you know it, if you don't deal with those roots of resentment, everything in your heart of hearts, everything in your life is simply covered with the thistle of resentment. 
And then he said, not only will they spring up quickly, but they will trouble you. And the word trouble there means to enthong you, enthrong you, to, to encircle you. He literally said, if you don't guard your heart, not only will roots of resentment cover you quickly, but they will encircle you and they will crowd out every other emotion. There'll be no love, no joy, no peace, no faith, no hope. All that's left is bitterness. And then he said, thereby many be defiled. And when he used the term defiled, he used the word to be painted or dyed or tainted or colored. And he said, if you don't deal with roots of resentment, this is what's going to happen. If you're not diligent and vigilant and on guard, your heart will be totally covered with roots of resentment. They will crowd out every other motion of your life, and you will become colored and characterized by one thing. Resentment. Somebody said, sitting next to a resentful person and petting a growling dog provides the same level of comfort. Have you ever done that? You can't be around them for 15 seconds. And all of a sudden they're telling you what happened 30 years ago, or three weeks ago, or three months ago, or three hours ago. They're completely encircled, and every other emotion is crowded out of their life, and all they can talk about is what someone said, did, or what they were treated. I've got a friend, he's in heaven now. Church called him to pastor in a small Oklahoma town, 1962. And they called him because he's a carpenter. He's a builder. And they needed a new church. And he went and built a new church. And the moment he completed the church, they voted him out. Wrong, unchristian, Immoral? Absolutely. But for the next 30 years of his life, all he could talk about was what happened in 1963. Crowded out. Resentment. In fact, what the Apostle Paul tells you in this portion of Scripture is that if you're not vigilant and on guard, these are the three things that roots of resentment will cause. The result. He said, it will ruin your rejoicing. You know what he said? You will come in and sit on your hands. Well, he said, lift up hands that hang down. In the Greek it says, if you do not deal with this root of bitterness, it will rob you of your rejoicing. And when you come into the house, you will sit on your hands. Paul said, I would that all men everywhere would pray and lift up holy hands without wrath and doubt. We know that upraised hands are a sign of praise and worship and triumph and victory and glory to God. But he said, as long as there is a root of resentment in your heart, instead of coming into his gates with thanksgiving and entering into his courts with praise, you will come in and sit on your hands. There'll be no rejoicing. Why is it so hard for people to praise God? Because there's resentment and we come in and sit on our hands. What I have to be thankful for. Why should I be praising God? He didn't answer the prayer. He didn't heal the sickness. He didn't protect my... He didn't show up. We can't enjoy what God's doing now for living in the past of our hurt. 
And so now pastors and worship leaders have become cheerleaders. You know, we all get in and we say, come on now. Come on now. Let's everybody stand up. Come on now. Let, let, let's praise the Lord. Come on now. Everybody lift your hands. Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Why? Because of resentment. And it not only ruins your rejoicing, but he said your knees will become enfeebled. That means to be hit by a paralytic stroke. He said you will turn yourself out of the way, out of the path that leads to the presence of God, and you will fail from God's grace or fall from God's grace. Because he said if you do not deal with resentment, it not only ruins your rejoicing, but it ruins your resolve. And you become like a man that's been hit with a paralytic stroke. And you no longer can walk in straight paths. And things you used to walk over, you stumble over. The victories you used to have and trod on, tread under feet the wicked, they'll be like ashes under the soles of your feet. You trip over temptations and shortcomings. And you don't have any strength. And so you move out of the wagon track that leads to holiness in the presence of God. And you're on one side of the road one day, and you have no resolve, so you're on the other side of the road the next day. And you're in and out and up and down and back and forth. Are you with me this morning? That's why we come in Sunday morning and have an emotional encounter with the presence of God and feel so good. And Monday, we're flat on our face again. Same temptation, same sin, same failure. He said it not only ruins your rejoicing and your resolve, but if you don't deal with it, it will ruin your relationship. You'll fail at the grace of God. You'll miss out on God's generosity. You will fall from the grace of God. That's what it says in the Greek. And it literally gives you the example of Esau. If anybody should have been filled with rejoicing, it's Esau. He is firstborn. You know what that means? He gets a double portion of the inheritance. He is the priest of the family. The messianic promise falls through him. But instead of rejoicing, he's filled with anger. Why? Filled with resentment. Because the Bible said, Esau have I hated, and Jacob have I loved, and the last is going to be first, and the first is going to be last, and he's filled with resentment. There's no rejoicing. And he loses his resolve. He's willing to sell that birthright and that blessing for a bowl of red beans. And later, because he didn't deal with it, though he sought it back, he couldn't get it. It severed his relationship. Now, if I had time, and I don't, but I take you all the way through the Bible. Because every story you read in the Bible is based on this one thing, roots of resentment. Adam and Eve, shouldn't they be praising God? They're created in the image of God. They have the breath of God. They're in the garden. Everything they have need of is provided, except they can't touch one thing. And so now God's not loving enough, kind enough, benevolent enough, and you can't have that tree. And so they lose their rejoicing. And then they lose their resolve. And if I can't have it, I'll take it. And now they've lost their relationship and they're thrust out. Tower Babel? Shouldn't those people be shouting? The Lord said, I will never destroy the earth again with an overflowing flood. I will put my bow in the sky. I make you that promise. Shouldn't they be saying, hallelujah? But instead, 
there's no rejoicing. They're filled with sadness and fear and anger. And so they lose their resolve. Well, he did it once. Maybe he'll do it again. So what we'll do is we'll build us a tower to heaven. And if he ever floods earth again, he'll have to flood heaven too. And now their languages are separated. Relationships gone. Go read the story of David. Shouldn't he be praising God? But there's one thing he can't have. Bathsheba. No rejoicing. Loses his resolve. Takes her relationship. Sword will never leave your Are you with me? And so the Lord says, and I'm hurt, you have to be ugly. Because if you're not careful, your heart will be filled with roots of resentment. And your rejoicing and your resolve and your relationship will be destroyed. But that's not all what's in here. It, it's how do you deal with that? And that's what here. And, and the first thing is you have to recognize it. Because a heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? And the problem is most of us will not recognize that they're even there. Because we live behind religious masks. You can just have a knockdown drag out at home. And the moment you come to the back door passion church, you straighten your coat, you had a tie, you'd straighten that. And you start down the aisle with your church going face on. And somebody says, How are you today? And you say, Blessed. How's it going? Great. Blessed. And all the way down the aisle into your breath, you're saying, when I get home, I'm going to kill her. Blessed. Great. Because most of us won't recognize and admit. Do you know what the most stolen item from a Walmart pharmacy is? Preparation H. You know why? I didn't make this up. This is true. My survey. You, you know why? People don't want you to know they're hurting. You know why? They don't want you to know where they're hurting. You know why? They think they can fix it themselves. And so the problem in the church, we're constantly dealing with symptoms and never the cause. We're putting band-aids on the sore. But we don't get to the root. And the root is bitterness. Niece had a had a baby and the baby got a diaper rash. Duh. All babies get diaper rashes. And you go down the store in our day we bought Desinex and powder and and she did all that. Baby still has diaper rash. Goes to the doctor, doctor checks the baby, gives her a bunch of high powered antibiotics and, and, and all kinds of salves, and two months later baby still has diaper rash. Brings it back to the doctor. The doctor inspects the baby. This time, decides to do a complete physical and discovers that the baby has a huge ear infection. And he's got a diaper rash because it's coming from the ear infection. And they were treating the wrong end. And that's what we do. We treat the causes, but not the symptoms. Because the symptom is resentment. You've got to recognize it, admit it. And secondly, you have to release it. Resentment is like acid. It destroys the containers that hold it. How long are you going to hold it? It's eating you up. 
Jesus said, if you do not straightway from your heart forgive others, God cannot forgive you. He gave you the parable of a man that owed $20 million in our value. And straightway he has asked his master for mercy and he was forgiven. Books were cleared. And he went out and found the man that owed him $20. And he said, that man said to him the same thing he said to the master that he owed $20 million to. If you will have mercy on me, I'll repay. He could have never repaid the $20 million. The master forgave him. And now this guy that owes him 20 bucks says, if you'll have mercy on me, I will repay. He could have. But he took him and threw him in debtor's prison. And somebody told the good master, and he said, I want you to take the man that was forgiven and put him in prison. Because when you do not from your heart forgive others, it doesn't imprison them. It imprisons you. The little boy had to learn the Lord's Prayer. And, and he did all right until he got to the lead us not into temptation, you know, forgive us our trespasses. They, that trespass thing really got him. And so he, he, he struggled, and finally he got to the place he's going to give it on that Sunday morning before the whole congregation. And he grit, gets to that part, and he says, And Lord, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. And he got it right. Because as long as you don't, you have to let it go. Quick, do, do you know how an oyster feeds? An oyster opens the shell, filters in seawater, and as the seawater goes through the open shell, he filters out nutrients. Well, every once in a while, an oyster does that. He gets a piece of sand or grit in his gut. Have you ever had grit in your gut? Well, if we were that oyster, you know what we'd say? I just don't accept that. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You can stand all day long and say, I just don't accept this, and you still got grit in your gut. So if it was, we'd say, Lord, I am a faithful oyster. I've joined the church, been baptized in water, attend 50 out of 52 Sundays. I've got 25 years of Sunday school payouts up and down my lapel. Pay my tithe. This is not right. And we'd spend the rest of our days murmuring and complaining and bitter, and we still have grit in our gut. Or some would say, this is unfair, and I got grit in my gut, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to get wasted. And when you wake up the next morning and have a hangover, you still got grit in your gut. Amen. And so some people would say, well, if you open your mouth and get grit in your gut, I ain't opening my mouth anymore. I won't love anymore. I won't trust anymore. And you clam up. And when an oyster clams up, he gets old and dry and dead. And when they find him on the seashore and pop the shell, he's still got grit in his gut. But not a wise oyster. A wise oyster that gets grit in his gut begins to release a milky substance. And it takes a period of time, but that milky substance covered that piece of grit layer upon layer until finally that grit is a and a pearl is a thing of beauty wrapped around trouble. You've got to release it. And once you recognize it's there and you release it, God will remove it. And God will restore you. In fact, the Bible puts it like this. Is there not a bomb in Gilead? Is there not a physician there? That's a rhetorical question. 
the, the, the prophet already knows the answer. Yes, there is a bomb in Gilead, and because the bomb and the medicine is in Gilead, that's where the physicians are. You know what the bomb in Gilead was? This little insignificant bush. You wouldn't even know. But you cut that bush down, and you grind it under a press, a stone press, and the, the sap, the rosin, the resin comes out. And they would capture it in a jar and put a clean cloth over it, and when somebody was sick, injured, bruised, wounded, they would use the bomb of Gilead to clean, cleanse the wound. Uh, they made a poultice. Young people don't. Older people, you know what a poultice is? Yeah. My mom did. Because she believed in Vic Sab. And she believed Vic Sab would cure anything. If you had a sore throat, you eat it. I've never read the ingredients on that bottle. I do not want to know what's in that stuff. Anything. Vic Sab. And we'd get a cold and she'd take that Vic Sab and she'd, she'd smear that all over your chest and she'd take a towel and put it on the old gas stove until it was so hot you couldn't already stand and put it on your chest. Dry that stuff right in your chest. I don't know if it cured you, but it made you stink so no bad body you'd get within 50 yards of you. That's a poultice. And when somebody was wounded, what they'd do is they'd dip this in the bomb and put it on. And you know the first thing it did? It softened the skin. And there was a property in the bomb that would reach down under the scab and it would draw out the infection, cleanse it. The wound would be cleansed. But it wouldn't just be cleansed. When you took the rag off, the wound was closed and there was no scar. And I want to tell you, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And every soul that plunges beneath that flood loses all their guilt. Remember the Good Samaritan? He poured in the oil to soften it and the wine to cleanse it. And I want to tell you, the moment you release your roots of resentment, something happens. He removes the infection. He takes away the hurt and the pain and the anger. and the, He cleanses it out. But there's something more than that. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord our God that healeth us. It literally comes from a word that means to knit together and sew up. He not only cleanses and removes the root of resentment, but He restores, He closes the wound. And when you look back, there's no scar. Which means you can remember, but you don't hurt anymore. You remember, but you're not at it's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.